Today, we'll be reading Luke 24, verse 36 to 53. I'll, and I'll be reading, in, reading from the ESV. As they were t- talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that this Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they were worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen. All right, so with that said, we're going to go into the preaching of the word today. Today we are actually starting a four-part sermon series, and it is titled, The Promise of the Holy Spirit. The Promise of the Holy Spirit. And over the course of the next few weeks, we will be studying together about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, and how we ought to relate to Him. And so today's message is just an introductory message. It's almost like preparing the heart for the next few messages, like tilling the soil in order to ensure that the seed that goes in is ready to take that. And so today's message is titled, The Promise for Today. The Promise for Today. Like today, like, I'm not, not December, November 14th, 2021. The Holy Spirit is a promise for the believer today. Now, as we go through the series... I would like to encourage you, if possible, take notes. You might have a lot of questions, and in the moment, you can't address every question. But I encourage you, take notes. I think we've kind of lost that culture uh, as a church. You know, it used to be like at the beginning of sermon, like everybody takes out their pen and their, their paper, and you start jotting down notes. But I would like to restart that, if possible, for us to come into the habit of actually taking notes during the sermon. Now, in a room this size... And with all the different backgrounds that are represented here, my guess is that all of us fall within a spectrum regarding particularly 
the issue of the Holy Spirit. If you were to look at it theologically, and I'm sorry if I bore you a little bit here with, with academic like theology stuff, there's a vast spectrum within the Christian realm. So like you can be called a Christian, but still when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there still is quite a vast spectrum in how you relate with the Holy Spirit. On one side, uh, this is kind of a, a complicated word, it's called cessationism. It means, you know, the ceasing. Cease not like C-E-A-S-E, like cease, like stop, right? And so cessationists, people on one extreme of that spectrum, they will say that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was a once and for all event in history that happened at Pentecost. So it's, it's documented in Acts 2, right? It's documented there. And that was the one time in all of history that the Spirit was poured out. And that is it. Sucks for you and I because we weren't there. But that was the once and for all moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out. And from there on out, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit have ceased. So they've stopped. Prophecy, you know, uh, you know, tongues, like healing, all these different things that we attribute as the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, they have ceased. They are no longer active. And so that's on one side of the spectrum. Now, a little bit further along the spectrum, there's the quote-unquote open but cautious open but cautious it is a little little, you know i was in this camp for a really long time and let me tell you this is where the vast majority of evangelicals actually would reside today they would say look i believe that the holy spirit is real and maybe you know maybe he heals still maybe there's still the gift of prophecy maybe there's still the gift of tongues but we'll never really know and i'm not really going to go out of my way to seek it I'll like tolerate it if it pops up in my life unannounced, but I'm like cautious. Like I'm just going to be super careful, you know, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So if like cessationists are people, imagine the Holy Spirit is like a car, you know, the cessationist people are not even the car. They're like, there's no such thing. People who are open and cautious, they have like double seatbelt and a helmet on. They're like, okay, maybe he's real. Maybe it's for today, but like I'm super cautious. Like you're going to be super careful. And like, I'm kind of like hesitant and fearful. And I've heard it being addressed really, you know, in an unhealthy way. And so I'm open, but cautious. So not actively seeking, but like open to the idea. Right? So that's cessationism and then open but cautious. And then further along the spectrum, you could say probably like charismatics. On this side, they're like, oh, it's for today. Like it's not just for the apostles, but it's for today. And then further down this you know, spectrum, you probably get uh, on the furthest end, probably like Pentecostal uh, charismatics. So where you say like, hey, this is, it's a must for everybody. And if you don't speak in tongues, like you should question whether you're saved or not. And that's a sign that you are saved, whether you speak in tongues or you, you know, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, all of that. So where does New Philly land on this theology spectrum? Where do we land? For those of you guys who took the membership class sometime in the last year and a half, you guys remember a really like fine print, like really small print, you know, uh, portion in the middle of our membership packet, we talked about our statement of faith, what we believe about different doctrines. So we talked about grace by faith, about the word of God, about the return of Christ, all these different theological aspects. And when it came to the Holy Spirit, this is the part that we have written out and spelled out in our membership booklet. It says, and you should see, um, you know, the text behind me as well. We believe that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity and is fully God, having existed for all eternity, 
We believe in both the indwelling and empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'll get into that later. We believe the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, convict men of sin, regenerate the sinner, cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, guide, instruct, comfort, and empower the believer for godly living and service. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are needed and still manifest today. Subsequent to salvation, when the Holy Spirit seals the believer for the day of redemption, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a crucial experience for every born-again believer, releasing them into powerful service and effective witness. Although we believe that it is important for every believer to receive the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit by faith, we do not believe that the experiential baptism of the Holy Spirit is essential for salvation. Does that make sense? Experiencing the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, moving in, you know, in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit is not a sign that you are saved. It is something that you can encounter after you are saved. It is something that is subsequent to your salvation. It doesn't determine whether you are saved or not. A gift is a gift. You know, you don't deserve it. You just receive it in faith and you use that to edify the body. And so that's how we approach this topic of the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of you guys, this might be old news. You're like, boring. Like, I've known this all along and this is what the, what the church stood for, for, you know, for a long time. And today, today is a review for you. Hopefully a very timely reminder and a refresher that hopefully rekindles a desire to experience the Holy Spirit afresh today. And for some of you, this might be very new. Like, I've never heard, you know, someone preach about the Holy Spirit or teach about the Holy Spirit. You know, and I, if you are in that camp, I 100% understand because that was me for most of my Christian life. I, you know, grew up in a very conservative uh, denomination of Christianity. And for a really long time, I had never heard any preaching on the Holy Spirit. I was maybe cessationist slash open but cautious for a really, really, really long time. Uh, But whether this is old news or new news for you, one thing is very certain. We're actually, none of us here in the room, whether we've had experience with the Holy Spirit or not, none of us here are neutral. None of us here are unbiased. We come to the table with some preconceived notions, some bias, whether it be positive or negative when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And so for the next three weeks, our intent will be to give us a biblical foundation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and hopefully inspire us to cry afresh for him. Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is just as much a part of the Trinity, like God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. That's 33.333% of the Trinity right there. That's a third of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. It would be like, hey, I don't need to know about the Holy Spirit. It's like saying, hey, I only need to know 66% of this Bible. The rest, 33% is like, eh, it'll be nice, but I don't really know. And it's going to be too much work to try to sort it out. And No, it's all of God. We are called to know all of God and experience all of God and trust in all of God. 
Isaiah 61 calls him the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the Lord. Zechariah 12 calls him the spirit of grace. Isaiah 11 calls him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. John 14 calls him the spirit of truth. Romans 8 calls him the spirit of life. 2 Corinthians calls him the spirit of the living God. Revelation 19 calls him the spirit of prophecy. The Holy Spirit has all these different names, and it's all throughout the Bible. It isn't just like there's this one book that's about the Holy Spirit, and the rest, the 66 rest books of, the Holy, uh, of, of Scripture are not about the Holy Spirit. That's not the case. Both Old and New Testament, the Holy Spirit is all throughout the Bible. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't just over all the Bible, but the Holy Spirit is also over all of history. It's not a new dilemma that we are faced with today. The Holy Spirit is all over all of history, and the Holy Spirit should be all over our lives currently, today. Like present-day Susie, today, he should be all over my life as well. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background so you understand where I'm coming from. My journey with the Holy Spirit, if you were to define it, you know, in, in Facebook, you can define your relationship. It would be, it's complicated. Like for me, it would be, it's complicated. When it comes to Susie and the Holy Spirit, it's very complicated. I would, if I were to classify it in any way, I would say there's three major hindrances that came in the way of me relating and knowing about the Holy Spirit. The first thing was that I lacked teaching and expectation. So when I was saved into a church and I was saved into a faith, I was actually never taught about the Holy Spirit. It was kind of like a taboo subject. You don't really talk about it. If it happens like at a Saturday night on a retreat, like cool, but we're not really going to debrief that, you know, like, or if, you know, you experience it in your daily walk, then oh, it's like an exception, but not the rule. And there really wasn't any teaching. There was kind of like a shroud of mystery around this topic of the Holy Spirit. And so the first hindrance for me was just simply lack of teaching. I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. I didn't have theology or doctrine about the Holy Spirit. I didn't know stories about the Holy Spirit. And so there was a lack of teaching and therefore a lack of expectation on my side. I thought like, oh, it's, it's good enough to relate to God the Father and God the Son. Do I really need to like learn about this you know, other guy called the Holy Spirit? He seems a little bit more dodgy and a bit more skeevy and a bit more unpredictable. Like, I don't really know. And so for a long time, I was very complacent. Hey, I just need to know, uh, you know, what is sure, and that's God the Father and God the Son. I don't really need to worry about the Holy Spirit. So that was my first hindrance, lack of teaching and lack of expectation. Now, if you know my story, I came here to New Philly after, you know, I was in a very conservative church and raised in a very conservative church. I came to New Philly around 2008. Just for a year, I was here as an exchange student. I was here, you know, who knew I would actually end up moving here? But I was here only for a year. And I had a friend from college. Some of you may know him. His name was Marcus Corpening. We actually knew each other from college. Um, and he, when, I, when I, he heard that I was coming to Korea, he said, Hey, you should check out this church. Back then it was called JSCM. You should check out JSCM. But let me give you a word of caution. You might think they're a little bit weird. Just letting you know. And I was like, what could that mean? And I walked in, right, on a Sunday, and I see people raising their hands when they're worshiping. And I was, like, scandalized. Like, what is that? These people are unwell, you know? And then there's, like, laying on of hands and praying out loud and prophesying and, you know, people asking to, to get prayer for healing. These things that were so foreign to me. And so I was like, wow, this is a full-fledged cult. Like, I am out of here, you know? 
The good thing was that, you know, I knew enough people to know that some of these testimonies were genuine. Like people who genuinely didn't follow the Lord. And after going through a season of discipleship through New Philadelphia Church, they actually came to the Lord. And they were experiencing a radically different life. And you can't really fake that, right? No amount of hype during a Sunday can have you fake a life that is transformed. And so I knew enough. Marcus was one of them. I was like, there's no way that Marcus is Christian right now unless this is genuine. And so, and so I came here and experienced all of that. Um, what happened? I was here for about a year. And then I went back to the States. When I went to the States, I started seminary. And it wasn't just any kind of seminary. It was a very conservative seminary. It was within Southern Baptist. And so there, there's certain beliefs that they have about the Holy Spirit and certain things that they don't emphasize. And I remember the feeling of like sitting in a lecture hall and it was in a theology class and there's, there could be all sorts of Christians sitting there. It was like a, a class of like maybe 200, 300 people, a huge auditorium. And, you know, we were talking about the topic of the Holy Spirit and the professor up front said, okay, well, raise your hand if you speak in tongues. And I was like, well, I speak in tongues. I, I got the gift of speaking in tongues while I was in, in Korea. And so I was about to raise my hand and look around. No one's raising their hand. So I was like, oh, shoot. This is not the kind of place for me to be like, I'm charismatic, guys. Like, I was actually, you know, like, okay, this is the part for me to, like, go on the DL. Like, low-key, like, I don't need to broadcast to everybody that I believe certain things about the Holy Spirit. And the longer I was in that kind of environment, the more and more I felt like something creeping into my heart was this fact that I was ashamed of the Holy Spirit. I was actually embarrassed. Like, ah. Like these academic people who have it all together and have their diagrams and like theologies and papers and all of that. And I feel like, oh, like if I go in there and I'm like, whoa, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, let me prophesy over you. That kind of stuff just wasn't the kind of place to do that. And so I slowly began getting ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Like I didn't want to tell people that I believe certain things about the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that that was my second hindrance. I began to, I had seen the Holy Spirit at work. I'd seen him in my life and the life of people that I knew, but this hindrance was just simply shame. Like, I don't want to be associated with those weird people. Like, I don't know what kind of history they have with, with like charismatic people. So I kind of don't want to fall into that bandwagon. And so like, I'm not going to broadcast that. And man, I want to be able to discourse with this kind of people, like academic kind of people and, you know, have very intelligent and sophisticated, you know, conversations about theology, not really talk about this other, like, loose you know or like touchy-feely kind of stuff like the holy spirit and so i wanted to basically cater myself and package myself in such a way that i would gain the respect of a certain kind of christian because they were kind of the quote-unquote respectable christians they're the ones who are like composed and have it all together and they don't do this messy thing called the holy spirit They're like, they seem pretty well put together. And so my second hindrance was being ashamed of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that I'm continuing to have to uproot in my heart as well. Now, my third hindrance, I would say, after being a few years in seminary, I came back to New Philly. And during that time, there was incredible spiritual renewal happening here. Now, over the years, there were certain things that I saw in this culture, in charismatic culture, that I felt were like, that's a little bit unhealthy. 
like, oh, I don't know, I don't think I like what they're, how they're packaging that, or how they're almost like putting certain things on a pedestal, like the experience is beyond scripture, or like what you're feeling right now is the absolute truth, and if it doesn't line up with scripture, then like, you know, who knows? There were certain things that were unhealthy about it as well. And so I would say my third hindrance was experiencing somewhat of an unhealthy charismatic culture. It wasn't that I wasn't experiencing charismatic culture. It was an unhealthy way of going about being charismatic and believing in the Holy Spirit. So those are three different ways in which I feel like these were roadblocks that I've had to wrestle through and work through in my journey with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if this, you know, kind of hits home for any of you guys. I'm sure in this room, there's certain people who have never heard it being taught And so now that that is being addressed, hopefully, there'll be a greater openness and a searching of scriptures. Second, I'm sure in a room this size, there's people who are ashamed of the Holy Spirit. We're like, here, you can raise your hands and sing worship. But then outside, you're like, or in your workplace or with your family, you're like, oh, I don't know about that, you know. And you're ashamed, you know. know, When it comes down to it, you're ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Or lastly, maybe some of you, depending on what kind of background you've had, you've experienced the unhealthy side of charismatic culture where things have been taken way out of context, when things have been taken to an extreme. And the last thing you feel when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit is safe. You feel like, oh, I've got to be on guard here. Like, I have to be very careful. Like, I'm going to take a step back and kind of watch this thing play out, and then I'm going to make up my mind. Now, here's the thing. There's, there's nothing wrong with searching and asking questions and going into Scripture. In fact, these are the things that you must do. But it's quite different when it comes to, like, this suspicion, you know? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, I've, I feel like I've been here before. I think I've heard that before. And so, like, I'm going to be super cautious. Again, the, the, the double seatbelt and helmet kind of approach to it. But, you know, from the standpoint of someone who has gone through those three major obstacles in relating to the Holy Spirit as a person of the Trinity... I know that whatever my experience, whether it be positive or negative, I am not justified in avoiding the topic of the Holy Spirit. My experience, especially my negative experience, does not justify me in avoiding the topic of the Holy Spirit. Because scripture doesn't allow it. Scripture actually says, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What do you mean by God? Oh, the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I think I can love God the Father with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can love the Son with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Holy Spirit, eh, eh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. And so I believe that if we're true to Scripture, that's the part that we have to wrestle with. It's part of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so this is my first point for us today. We mustn't just tolerate the Holy Spirit, we must desire the Holy Spirit. Desire the Holy Spirit. It is very different from just barely tolerating. Or like, well, if he shows up, he shows up kind of thing. Like, We'll just go about it casually. No, we are called as believers in Christ, as followers of the word, to desire the Holy Spirit. It's not a neutral stance that we're allowed to take when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So the first order of business, I believe, for us today is to admit that we feel a particular way about this, whether it be negative or positive. We feel a particular way about this. (coughs) 
And maybe we have some specific fears regarding this as well. Let me tell you, for me, I sometimes still feel ashamed of the Holy Spirit. And I know that grieves him. It's like, you know, if I were to bring a relative, you know, to, you know, to, to a gathering, and then I'm like, ah, oh, but they're kind of like a loose cannon, and like, I don't know if they're going to offend anybody, and I hope they behave today, kind of like thing. Um, yeah, sometimes I get ashamed of the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to invite you this time, but you better behave. Like, don't do any of the weird stuff. Like, you, you better be on best behavior. And that's my approach to the Holy Spirit. Just like, you know, Jacob was leading us today, I sometimes worry about what people will think of me. I actually worry about that a lot. I worry about, especially respectable people or other pastors, especially since I'm like, you know, I meet with pastors quite regularly, or certain scholars or whatever I would describe as respectable people, people that I, whose respect I want. I worry about what they'll think about me. If they know that I speak in tongues, you know, if they know that I believe in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, I worry. Like, I don't want them to think I'm a weirdo. Like, I really don't want them, you know? And I worry about that. I also know that I sometimes struggle to let go of control when it comes to my walk and ministry because I prefer to make things very predictable. I prefer to make things very, like, manageable. Now, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is not predictable nor manageable. He is a person with his own volition, he has his own purposes, his own will. And so the moment you try to control the Holy Spirit, that's the moment that you quench the Holy Spirit. And so this need for control, for me, is a major hindrance. Because it's hard for me to let go of control. You know, it's hard for me to be okay with however the Holy Spirit moves. Now, though these things are true of me, there's also something that is also true of me. And that is that I want to love and obey the whole counsel of the word to the best of my abilities. I know I'm not going to get it right all the time. I know that there's going to be areas that need correction and need refining and need maturity over time. I know that. But still driving me is this desire to love and obey the whole counsel of God's word. Not just the parts that are socially acceptable. Not just the parts that are controllable. Not just the parts that are universally respected. The whole of scripture. And so in my life, I see the discrepancy from the book of Acts, you know, and probably every other book, right? But especially from the book of Acts, I see the kind of Christian that we see in the book of Acts, and I see my life, and I'm like, is this the same religion? Do we believe in the same God? Like, I see such a discrepancy, such a distance between those two. When I read passages like, in that day, I will pour out my spirit, On my sons and daughters, and they will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit. When I read passages where Jesus says, you will do even greater things than these. And these meaning raising the dead, healing lepers, you know, crazy stuff, right? He's saying, hey, disciples, you're actually going to do much greater things than these. And I'm like, oh, he probably means Peter, not Susie. Like, Susie has nothing to do with that. And so I see a huge discrepancy between my life and what I read in Scripture. Um, When I read about incredible, you know, testimonies of entire cities being upturned by the preaching of the gospel. When I see these things, and I know that they're possible because they're in Scripture. And then I look at my life and see such a distance in between. I have a choice to make, which is real. 
right? Which is true, which is available, right? I can choose to dictate my truth about the Holy Spirit according to what I've experienced or not experienced, or I can dictate God's truth according to Scripture and have a choice to make. When there's tension between the two, which one will win out? Now, Francis Chan, uh, many of you are familiar with who he is, wrote a book a few years back. He titled it The Forgotten God. He was basically talking about, hey, in the Trinity, there's one person in the Trinity that is constantly forgotten, constantly neglected, and we must stop that as people who are believers in God. He writes that though in theory most Christians would say that they believe in the Trinity, it's usually more like they believe in two persons of the Trinity. So what's binary, binary, no. Anyway, not Trinity, but two, right? They believe in the Father and the Son. And the third one, it's like they tack it on as an afterthought. Like maybe it's a feeling, maybe it's a mood, maybe it's like a, a force, but not really a full person of the Trinity. Now, let me ask you this question. If we were to treat God the Father and God the Son the same way we treated God the Spirit, would we be considered Christians? If we were open but cautious about Jesus, open but cautious about God the Father, would we be considered Christians? Probably not, right? You can't... You know, what makes you a Christian is, I believe that Jesus Christ came down, died for my sins, he was dead, he was buried, he was resurrected after three days, he ascended into heaven, he's going to come back, and he saved me out of no merit of my own. That's what makes you a believer. And if we were to treat Jesus, God the Son, the same way that we treat God the Holy Spirit, like, oh, Jesus, I'm a little cautious about you, like, I don't know what you're going to do here, and so I kind of need to make sure that I've kind of put all my ducks in a row and I need to make sure exactly what you're about to do and don't do anything out of the norm and behave now. If we were to treat God the Son the same way that we treat the Holy Spirit, we would not be called Christians. We maybe be called seekers, but not Christians. And in his book, Francis Chan, he narrates, this is one day when he preached about the passage in Acts, like after the Pentecost, the, you know, how... You know, there was like, you know, tongues of fire and all of that happening. And then Peter, um, he preached his first sermon coming out of that. And so Francis Chan, he preached on this part. He preached, preached on this passage on Peter. And this is how he says um, things transpired. Francis said, when I was preaching through this passage at my church, my seven-year-old daughter called Mercy, she understood. She came to me afterwards and said, Dad... I want to repent of my sins and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he writes, I loved the simplicity and greatness of her faith. She didn't need to debate the finer points of how and when exactly the Holy Spirit would come. She just wanted to obey the passage to the best of her ability. I realized mercy mercy the girl, mercy doesn't have the biblical knowledge many of us do. But I wonder how many of us have the faith she has. Is that your response to the word? Isn't this humbling? You hear about a seven-year-old who's open to receiving the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the scripture says so. And that's enough. There isn't this like, but wait, like how does it happen? And what's the mechanics behind it? And what's it going to do? There's no like 
they found our butts. It's like, well, the scripture tells me to do it, then I'm going to do it. It's very simple. I wish I had that kind of childlike faith. I know I'm not like that most times. I'm like, no, tell me exactly what I'm getting into. Got to lay it all out for me, and then I'll consider whether I'm going to sign up for this thing. That's how many of us operate, actually. But what if, just for a moment, we became like children. We became like this seven-year-old Mercy and just said, well, I'm going to trust that the scripture says so. I'm going to trust that God's gifts are good. He wouldn't give us something bad. He wouldn't give us a serpent. He wouldn't give us a scorpion. That's what scripture says. He's going to give us something good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. What if we trusted God that way? Man, wouldn't that change our lives? I know it would change mine dramatically. And there's something in me that I know that I need to get to, and that's desiring the Holy Spirit. For me, I'm still like often wavering between like tolerating the Holy Spirit, still considering I'm a little bit of a nuisance, like an inconvenience at times, you know, ruining my plans or whatnot. And like there's days where I desire Him, where like, I, I, you know, Jesus, I love you. Father, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. I need to have more of you. And so my first admonition to all of us, it's not enough to tolerate the Holy Spirit. We're called to desire the Holy Spirit. Just being open and cautious is not going to do it. We ought to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is what scripture talks about. That's the first thing. We must desire the Holy Spirit. Second, we must honor the Holy Spirit. We must honor the Holy Spirit. It's not the same as desiring him. What does it mean to honor the Holy Spirit? Most of us can err on one of two sides. Either we quench him. One, two, three. Okay. Either we quench him or we use him. We quench him or we use him. We either neglect him or we take advantage of him. He's a person. Now imagine I approach Unsan only every any time that I just needed something from her. Like, hey, can you do this for me? Hey, like I need you here for me in this particular way. Would you say that I have a relationship with her? Not really. I'm using her, right? I'm using her for a different end, for a purpose, right? You wouldn't say that I have a relationship with her. And in the same way, people who use the Holy Spirit without loving the Holy Spirit, without relating to him as a person of the Trinity, are taking advantage of him. And they're not honoring him. Now let's go through these two extremes very quickly. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? You know, as I shared right before, I lived an entire life, most of my Christian life, quenching the Holy Spirit, right? As I slowly made my way to reconcile with the Holy Spirit, during that time I read a, a really incredible book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. This was written by an academic cessationist, so somebody who didn't believe that the Holy Spirit was here for today. He was like, long gone. It was for the apostles. It's not for today. You know, closed deal. That's it. And he went on this journey of like wanting to prove his point, And he ended up being surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. His name is Jack Deere. And um, he right, wrote this book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he writes in part of it. He says, in my travels, I meet many seminary professors and church leaders. I'm finding that fewer of these leaders are willing to take the position that the gifts of the Spirit passed away with the apostles or cessationists. In fact, I frequently hear leaders say, I'm open to the gifts of the Spirit and to God doing healing miracles. 
Often, people say this as though they think there's something noble about being open. However, being open doesn't count very much with God. A person who is simply open is still a person who does not yet believe. If a non-Christian died while he was open to the possibility that Jesus may have died on the cross for his sins, that person would still go to hell. It is not being open that gets blessing from God. It is believing and pursuing what he promised. Jesus never said, blessed are the open. Isn't that a great stance? Like for me, I was like rebuked to the core while I read this. Wow, like, oh, I was, I, I thought I was open, but I, essentially it meant that I didn't believe. That's all it boils down to. Now let me cl- make it clear to everyone, there's nothing wrong with searching scripture. Please, please, please. Please search the scriptures. Don't take anything I'm saying face value. Please search the scriptures. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's nothing wrong with exercising wisdom, setting boundaries. All these things are important. That's necessary. But if where you land is closer to tolerating the Holy Spirit instead of desiring the Holy Spirit and eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts, like Paul says in his letters, then you've fallen short of what is required of you in scripture. The greatest commandment, again, isn't to tolerate the Lord your God. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is how you quench the Holy Spirit. Now, on the opposite extreme, how you don't honor the Spirit by using the Holy Spirit. There are people who elevate the experience of the Holy Spirit and the benefits of the Holy Spirit above the person of the Holy Spirit. Like, oh, the Holy Spirit is like this magic dust that like when he's there, our, our, our worship is a little bit more lively, our prayer is a bit more fiery, and it's just like this magic pixie dust that kind of like makes everything better, right? That's using the Holy Spirit. That is not honoring him. Now, in R.T. Kendall's book, um, Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, this is the admonition that he gives to people who are on that extreme of using the Holy Spirit. He says, One of the hardest lessons for us to learn is that we cannot monopolize the Holy Spirit. We cannot get a corner on the Holy Spirit market. He is not for sale. And he will not allow himself to be franchised like a fast food chain. We must therefore reverence him, honor him, let him be himself. We must flow with him and not try to coerce him to flow with us. Otherwise, he will back off very quietly and imperceptibly. While we carry on our way, like Joseph and Mary on their way back to Galilee, assuming the Lord was with them. He wasn't. They had to go back and look for him until they found him. And that is what we have to do. I believe this is part of the journey that is necessary for New Philadelphia as a community. I think there was a time when there was a genuine outpour of the Holy Spirit. Really genuine experience of the Holy Spirit moving supernaturally in our midst. And there was a moment where we started using him in some ways. Using him like, oh, we are that church. Like, whoa, our worship is incredible. Oh, everybody envies how we do prayer. And it became like this thing that we used to get something, whether it be the respect of other people, whether it be to get more people to attend, whatever the case may be, we started using the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, being the wise person that he is, he backed off. He was like, okay, well, you can do that. I'm not going to 
go along for the ride. Like you can do whatever you want. You can keep doing your formulas and you can keep doing your cultural things like muscle memory almost, but I'm not going to be there in your midst. He's not going to continue to endorse that. And thankfully, you know, there's a way back. There's repentance. There's a going back to him. And hopefully we'll find him again as a community. So there's a way back. Whether it be quenching or using the Holy Spirit, if this is you, whatever side you're on, the admonition for you today is from 1 Thessalonians 5. It is test everything. Hold on to what is good. Hold on to it. Don't let it go out of offense. Don't let it go because things didn't go the way you planned. Don't let it go out of fear. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. Doesn't mean we're like completely hands off and we're like, you know what? It kind of failed. It kind of, you know, imploded on us last time. And so we're just going to not really deal with this at all. No, it's a call to, okay, let's revisit this. Let's make sure we honor him this time. We don't quench him and we don't use him, but there's a way back for us to be able to honor the Holy Spirit. We test everything. We don't throw discernment out the window. We test everything according to scripture. We hold on to the good and we avoid every kind of evil. That is how you honor the Holy Spirit. You create an environment where the Holy Spirit feels welcome, where he feels desired, where he feels like this is my home and I can come here anytime I want. So we are called to desire the Holy Spirit. We're called to honor the Holy Spirit. And lastly, we must partner with the Holy Spirit. We must partner with the Holy Spirit. And this is a must. This is a must. Let me give you a quick illustration. uh, Not last year, this past year, um, I took my first surfing lesson, first and only surfing lesson. I was like, I am not going to go down quietly into the night. I am going to, you know, go out guns and blazing and so I'm going to learn surfing. It's never too learned to learn surfing. And so I went and took a surfing lesson uh, with, with Daisy as well. And you know, it was the first time in my life. It was a ton of fun. I was, you know, the whole time I was super impatient though. Like we got there and we're like, okay, this is going to be so cool. Like this is going to be epic. This is going to make my year. And the moment we got there, this guy who was an instructor, he gave us like a 10 to 15 minute safety thing. And I was like, come on, let's get to the fun part. And he's like, no, we're not going into the water until we get these things down. Like this is the reason why you shouldn't jump off the board. This is the reason why you need to do this with your legs. This is the reason why you need to paddle this way. And he was just theoretically going through all these things. And I was like, oh, come on, come on, just get through it. You know? And then after that, he was like, okay, now you're ready. Here's your wetsuit. And here's, this is going to be your surfboard. And you know, now we're going to go out into the water. And I was like, yes, finally, put it on. I'm like so ready, feeling so gangsta. And you know, we go in front of the water. And then we camped out on the shore, like on the sand for another 35 minutes. I was like, come on, let's just get to it. And he was like, no, what we're going to do here is you're going to put your board on the sand. You're going to lay on top of it. And we're going to practice these drills. This is how you lay on top of it. This is how you paddle. And then the moment when I say up, this is how you get up. And this is how you stand on it. And this is how you're going to ride out the wave. And it wasn't once or twice that we did. We did that for 35 minutes. 35 minutes out of a three-hour lesson, right? 35 minutes. But this was the point. The point that he was reinforcing over and over and over and over again is 
What you're doing right now is going to make the difference between a fun and successful time of surfing or a dangerous and possibly traumatic time of going of learning to surf this is a huge difference in between he was saying look you don't know what you're doing you're going to need a wetsuit even if you don't think it's cold enough you're going to need to know what to do when you lose your balance you need to know how to get up on your board and in the same way although this is not a perfect analogy of course in the same way in the passage that we read today you know the disciples are like okay now we know you're the lord for sure because for 40 days we've seen you in your resurrected body now let's get to it like come on let's go to the water i'm so ready right and jesus is like wait there's something that you have to do before you actually go into the water you have to receive the holy spirit your good intentions and even your knowledge your working knowledge is not going to do the job you don't know what's ahead for you you don't know that on the other side of this is going to be persecutions. There's going to be moments where you feel alone. There's moments where you're going to second guess your judgment. There's going to be times where you're the only one preaching the gospel. There's going to be times where you're intimidated by authorities. You don't know what's ahead for you, what you need before you go out. It isn't this over-eager expectation. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. What you are called to do, you cannot do on your own strength. Jesus was looking at the disciples and saying, you don't know what you're doing. And without the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to do what I've set you out to do. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one who glorifies the Son, who will remind you of everything I've spoken to you, who will empower your ministry. He will encourage you in times of persecution. He will accompany you when you feel outnumbered. He's going to give you the words to speak when you are stumped. He's going to transform these uneducated fishermen into fiery preachers, miracle-working apostles, fearless church planters, unintimidated and relentless men and women of God that would eventually become, many of them, martyrs. They cannot do that just on, come on, let me go into the water. I'm so ready. Jesus loves them too much, and he is so set on his ways and his purposes that he said, wait. There's one thing that's very important that I can't let you just go right now. You need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. You won't be able to plant churches without it. You won't be able to heal the sick without it. You won't be able to do any of the things that you want to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. It was indispensable that they not go out in their own plans and strength and try to do what only the Holy Spirit is able to do. It required partnership. It required more than just, oh, I think I know the game plan. Let's go. Let's do it. It required a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It required trust in God, provision by God, and empowerment by God. It required the miracles of God, the wisdom of God, the hand of God to be at work through their lives. Now, the Holy Spirit is not just a bonus or a feeling or a mood or a way of singing when you raise your hands. or you know, It is, it is so much bigger than that. In Luke 24, the passage that we read... It is what is indispensable for them to actually be able to be witnesses in the nations that they were going to be called into. The same thing is reiterated in Acts 1, where it says, well, staying with them, he ordered them. He ordered them. He's like, hey, this is an order. It's not a suggestion. He said, hey, right? He ordered them not to leave, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which 
He said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is saying, this is the one must. You can forget other stuff. Maybe you don't need to study as much, or maybe you don't need to do this as much, but this one thing that is indispensable for you, you're going to need, is the Holy Spirit. It's so interesting to me that Jesus instructs them not to leave until they have received power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them because they were already believers in Jesus, right? They're already believers. They're already, according to Jesus' word, he's cleansed them through his word, right? When, when, when Peter's like, oh, don't just cleanse my feet, cleanse all of me. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Like, I've already cleansed you through my word, right? They, they were already cleansed by Jesus. They were already baptized in water. They were already disciples and followers of Jesus. They even believed and witnessed the actual resurrection of Christ, but they were still lacking something that would make their ministry effective, that would make their devotion sustained throughout the years, that would make their preaching fruitful, and their ministry God-glorifying, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that your life requires the power of the Holy Spirit? Or have you settled for anything less? Do you believe that your life actually requires a supernatural work of one of, you know, one of the persons of the Trinity alive in you? It requires more than just walking with God. It requires God in you, working through you. Do you believe that your life requires that? Do you believe that God's plans and purposes for your life or the fruit that he wants to bring through your life, the transformation that he wants to bring through your life, do you believe that God himself has to do it or that you can do it on your own strength. Maybe it's just good planning, good strategy, hopefully some luck. And I'm like, okay, hopefully things will pan out. If that's what you believe about God's plans for your life, maybe it's not God's plans, maybe it's your plans. If it doesn't require his intervention, if it doesn't require his partnership, it doesn't require his power at work in your life, it's probably not God's plans. You're probably settling for something less If the disciples had gone about their life the way that we often go about our life, we wouldn't have a church today. The church wouldn't have made it 2,000 years, right? In the same way that Jesus foresaw the challenges, persecution, hardships, the hardness of hearts in people that they were preaching to, the need for the word being preached in power, the need for healing signs and wonders. In the same way that Jesus foresaw that for the disciples... And he says, it's better for me to leave so that I can leave with you the Holy Spirit. I can send to you the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you don't just need God working alongside you. You need God working inside you and God working through you. That is the kind of life that are ordained for you. Now, I'm going to ask the priest team to come up as we, we close out today. Now, for the next three weeks, like I mentioned before... We're going to be focusing on three different aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to be talking about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. How he supernaturally moves us to salvation. You and I aren't saved because of anything we did, per se. It had to take the Holy Spirit's supernatural work in us. So this is the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. How he seals us for the day of redemption. How he leads us through a journey of sanctification, through conviction and repentance. 
how he leads us into greater Christ-likeness in our lives as we journey with him. This is the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're going to be talking about next week. The week after that, we'll be talking about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. How we're called to live a life that isn't void of the Spirit's power, but it should be normal, actually, to experience the closeness and the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. And last, in the last week, the third week, it's basically the last week before going into uh, our retreat, we're going to be going into the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit's role is to open up our eyes and reveal the glory of the Son. Reveal the glory and the majesty of Jesus to help us see Him rightly, that we would love Him rightly. And so it's going to be a great journey for us for the next few weeks. I hope you don't miss out on any of it. But as we close out today, this is what I wanted to say. Many of us are in house churches currently. And we're studying the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. What is the one phrase that is repeated over and over and over again, all seven letters? What is the one phrase? It is, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All seven times. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Isn't it amazing that instead of God just giving us one long to-do list, He gives us something much better. He gives us the Great Counselor. He gives us the Comforter. He gives us the Convictor. The one who opens up the Scriptures to us. The one who's walking with us through our unique circumstances and speaks to us regarding God's Word. I love that God in His generosity... He gave us a person of the Holy Spirit who can search our hearts, who knows our ways, and he has the perfect wisdom to say, hey, you, you're doing this well, but this I hold against you. Hey, you, you're doing well, but this I hold against you. He's saying, hey, Ephesus, your problem isn't not being diligent in your labor. Ephesus, your problem is being loveless in your labor. This is the perfect wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a cut and paste kind of thing over all seven churches. The Spirit is able to speak very particularly to every given situation. He's able to look at the church of Pergamum and, hey, your issue isn't perseverance. That's not your issue. It's compromise. Make sure that you are listening to the voice of the Spirit and so on and so forth. He says over and over, he who has an ear hear what the Spirit, what the person of the Spirit says to the churches. And my question for us today is, are we hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church? Are we hearing what it's saying to us? Do you desire the Holy Spirit or do you merely tolerate Him? Do you honor the Holy Spirit or do you quench Him or use Him? Are you partnering with the Holy Spirit or are you living on your own strength, living on your own power, on your own wisdom? This is the invitation that is there for us today. So I'm going to ask you know, the praise team to just lead us in a song. And as we do this, instead of singing right away, I'd like us to simply to close our eyes believe that the Holy Spirit is here right now, in present day, with you right now. 
And this is the question that I want us to wrestle with today. Is there anything that I need to repent of? Is there any way that I've wronged the Holy Spirit? Any way that I've grieved the Holy Spirit? Have I been properly honoring Him? Have I been making room for Him? Have I been desiring Him? Not just tolerating Him, but desiring Him. The same way that I pursue God the Father. The same way that I pursue God the Son. Have I been pursuing God the Spirit? Have I been making room in my life to partner with Him? Have I been given permission for the Holy Spirit to intervene and work through my life as He pleases? Or have I been holding out on Him? Is there something that we need to repent of today concerning how we've treated the Holy Spirit? us to take just a few minutes just to come before the Lord as a praise team leads us in a song. Just come quietly before him and ask him to search your heart. Holy Spirit, have I grieved you in any way? Have I quenched you in any way? Have I used you?